This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy 4, we're looking this morning at verses 9 through 22. 2 Timothy 4, beginning in verse 9, Paul concludes this second letter that we have to Timothy. Hear the word of God. Do your best to come to me soon. Redeem us in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila, the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as does Pudens and Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. We give thanks to the Lord for his word. Let's pray. Father, we do pray before we come to your word because we recognize what you said in it, that these things are not discerned by the natural person, apart from your grace. Uh, Father, they are discerned by your Holy Spirit. They are fruitful to salvation and to growth in grace as your Spirit illumines our minds and warms our hearts to receive what you have for us in the Scriptures. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, it's your word whether anyone reads it or not. But Lord, as we read it, we pray that you would teach us and you would speak from the Scriptures to us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I read a post this past week on the blog on uh, Reformation21.com website uh, by Carl Truman, who is a professor at Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia. And it was on this matter of hagiography, maybe not a word that flows into your normal conversation each week, 
but it has to do with writing, especially biography, that is uncritical, that is adoring, frankly, in its approach. Now, such writing can be inspiring to read about someone, whether it's, uh, it's a non-Christian or a Christian, to read about the good qualities of their lives, the things that they did. But you often tend to see this in Christian biography, uh, maybe of ministers, maybe of, of missionaries. Uh, and you read about it, and it's about their successes, and it's about their victories, and it's about their triumphs. And while it is inspiring... You have to admit it can also be a little discouraging because you come away thinking, I could never be like that. And that's not how it is, because what you didn't read about was the discouragement, the failures, the pettiness, the fights, the division, the disagreements, the sin which are present in the life of the most godly and fruitful of God's people. We have a tendency to think about Paul that way. Although in the scriptures, Paul is very open with his struggles and his failures and his difficulties. But we still tend to think of Paul as the one who fought the good fight, as we saw last week. The one who ran the race. The one who kept the faith. The one who despite his best efforts in Scripture, comes across in our minds as being somewhat of a superman, somewhat superhuman. And there's a tendency to look at Paul and think, I could never be like that. Well, it's not Paul's fault, and it's not the Scripture's fault. Now, as we go from that passage last time, where Paul is looking forward to his heavenly reward, we look at a passage this time, the passage with, with, with which he ends this letter uh, to Timothy, that, that brings his gaze and ours back to his present circumstances, which were hard. And, for Paul at least, contains some measure of discouragement. It reflects the reality of his current circumstances. Yes, he's awaiting the crown, But for now, he's still an ordinary human being with very ordinary needs. And what comes out of this passage seems to be, above all, a sense of loneliness. If you read about Paul's ministry and read about his his letters, he was a people person. Uh, He was not the Lone Ranger out conducting these missionary journeys we read about in Acts. He always had a team with him that was either present with him or coming to him or going from him. Uh, but he was always part of this group of people, and I'm sure that he not only benefited from the variety of spiritual gifts present, but just the camaraderie, the fellowship of being with fellow believers. You know, Paul wasn't like some of those later pillar monks, you know, who wanted to live on top of a, you know, 30-foot pole, had their food brought up in a basket so they could be isolated and just contemplate. That was not Paul's view of the Christian life or the biblical view of the Christian life at all. In fact, very much just the opposite, very engaged with people. And if we learn anything from Paul, uh, whether it's from his active ministry or now in his imprisonment, we learn this, that the Christian life is an interactive life. That is to say, other people will always be a part of and will be engaged in your life as a Christian. Now, you know that any time people 
are uh, in relationship, anytime you're interacting with other people, there's an unpredictable element to that. Because people can be unpredictable. And yet we wouldn't have it any other way. You can't live the Christian life on your own. The Christian life is lived in interaction with other people. Other believers, certainly, but often people who are not believers. And in these interactions, Paul describes here, and he experiences pretty much the gamut of what you can expect in relationships with other people. So let's take a look at what he says. First of all, the first thing we see here, and, and really the good news, is that people will encourage you. As Christians, people will encourage. So let's look at some of the people just in this short passage that Paul mentions that were a part of his life. First of all, of course, is Timothy. His son in the faith uh, is his protege, the one to whom this letter is written. You may have noticed that throughout this passage, uh, there are requests for Timothy to come quickly to him. Look at verse 9. Do your best. Make every effort to come to me soon. Yeah, the letter's nice, but Paul really wanted to have his son in the faith there with him as he was in prison in Rome. And again, down in verse 21, do your best. Make every effort to come before winter. Why? Well, probably because he'd ask for, for his cloak. He wanted his cloak before it really started to get cold. But also notice when he's not specifically requesting, he's expecting and anticipating Timothy's visit. Look at verse 11. Get Mark and bring him with you, Timothy, when you come. And then again in verse 13. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. Uh, that's why probably why he wants him to come before winter to bring his cloak, uh, so he'll be he'll be warm in the winter. So direct request, Timothy, get here as quickly as you can. Do everything you can to get here soon. Uh, and when you come, bring Mark. And when you come, bring the cloak and the books. Paul really wanted to see Timothy. He wanted to have him near him. He wanted him to encourage him. And he didn't know how long he had. We saw that last time. Paul sensed that his his end was near in this world. Uh, was very strong. But if Timothy could hurry and get there, uh, perhaps he could spend some time with him before uh, he departed to be with the Lord. He requests, by the way, the books and above all the parchments in verse 13. Uh, the books, as he says, probably were made of papyrus uh, from reeds, the, 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 uh, the parchment from animal skin. Uh, these papyrus rolls, we don't know what they were. It might have been... Uh, things to write with, might have been correspondence or official documents. Some even suggest maybe one of, them was, one of them was his certificate of Roman citizenship. Don't know for sure. The parchments, the skins may have been unused, kind of may have been, been like his journal that he was just writing in. Uh, maybe they were books of some kind that we would think of books, a document, maybe even part of or the entirety of his, his translation of the Old Testament uh, in Greek translation. But these books... These writings or something to write with were very important to him. So he wanted Timothy's uh, companionship to encourage him, and he wanted his cloak to stay warm, and he wanted his, uh, his material so he'll have something to read, keep his mind occupied, and perhaps write some himself, which, of course, we know Paul was a, a great writer, as we have so many of his letters in the New Testament. But there were other people, too, that he mentions, and just want to run through this quickly, not take too much time, but just to look at some of these people in Paul's life, in his life, uh, not all of them with him, most of them not with him right now, but there's Crescens, verse 10, uh, going to Galatia. We'll come back to Demas uh, in just a minute. 
Uh, Crescens has gone to Galatia, and he says Titus, of course, the next letter is to Titus. Uh, Titus, uh, next in, a, in the, the sequence of letters in the New Testament, although written earlier, uh, Titus, he says, has gone to Dalmatia, and uh, there's nothing negative there, simply indicating their travels. He knows they're out there, they're going. Uh, and then in verse 11, he says, Luke alone is with me. Of course, Luke earlier is referred to, as we saw, as the beloved physician, traveling companion of Paul's, uh, the, obviously the author of the Gospel of Luke that bears his name, but also its sequel, the book of Acts. Uh, Luke was along for some of those uh, journeys, some of the experiences that we read about in Acts. He was a firsthand witness and experience of many of them, certainly not all of them. Uh, but Luke was with Paul. Luke alone is with me there to encourage him. Uh, verse 11, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. I remember preaching a whole sermon on that verse. And why is that significant? Well, you probably know. On the first missionary journey, uh, John Mark went with Paul and Barnabas, uh, and yet they reached a certain point. He turned and went home. And then when Paul and Barnabas were looking at taking their second missionary journey to go back, retrace their steps, check on the churches they had planted, follow up on the people that had come to Christ, uh, Barnabas wanted to take John Mark, his cousin, with them. And Paul wouldn't have anything to do with that. Paul said, no. You know, he, he bailed out on us on the first trip. He's unreliable. He's not going with us. In fact, they disagreed so sharply, they parted company. Uh, Barnabas went on ahead and took John Mark with him. They went to Cyprus. Paul took Silas, and they headed on up uh, to retrace their steps, visit the churches they had planted before. Uh, so a strong disagreement there. Uh, sometimes you don't read that in the missionary biographies, but there was a strong disagreement that actually resulted in two teams going out, so perhaps for the multiplication of the gospel. But notice, by this point, uh, Paul is able to refer to Mark in Philemon 24 uh, as a fellow worker. And it's able to commend him here as being useful to me for ministry. So just because you've blown it once, or even twice, doesn't mean that you can't be rehabilitated, be useful for the ministry, be useful in service to the church. Now, he goes on to say uh, in verse 12, Tychicus, which you have to admit is just fun to say, a name we're not very familiar with, and yet it appears repeatedly in Scripture, kind of like Barnabas, someone we don't know as well, and yet if you trace him out, you find he's involved in a lot of ways in the early church. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. He apparently was the one who carried the letters Paul wrote to Ephesus and to the Colossians. Uh, Paul refers to him a couple of times as the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord. Ephesians 6, 21, Colossians 4, 7. High commendation from Paul. A beloved brother, a faithful minister in the Lord. Colossians 4, he refers to him as a fellow bondservant in the Lord. So this was someone Paul knew well and thought highly of. Um, and now it seems he's being sent perhaps with his last of all letters, this one to Timothy. It may be that Paul intends him to replace Timothy in Ephesus while Timothy is visiting Paul in Rome when he does come to Paul quickly. Uh, verse 13, Carpus and Troas. Don't know anything about Carpus, but his name appears in the Bible, and he can always point to that. Uh, then I left with Carpus at Troas, the books, the parchments. There's some speculation since these things were left at Troas, that might have been the site of Paul's arrest that has led to this second imprisonment. 
uh, from which he would not, uh, from which he would not leave in this world. And then you'll skip down to verse 19. Greet Prisca and Aquila, or Priscilla and Aquila, as we know them from the book of Acts. Prisca is probably just sort of a shortened name. Uh, Prisca and Aquila. Paul refers to them in Romans 16 as his fellow workers in Christ Jesus. When he was in Corinth, Acts chapter 18, he stayed with them and worked with them. Uh, and they're evidently still in Ephesus when we last hear of them in, in Acts chapter 18. And so he sends greetings to them, the household of Onesiphorus, who also seems to still be in Ephesus, uh, separated uh, from his family, but greet their household. Um, verse, um, let's see, verse 20, Erastus remained at Corinth. Uh, Romans 16, he may be Corinth's city treasurer, may actually be a civic official in Corinth, and uh, the one whom Paul sent with Timothy into Macedonia in Acts chapter 19. So another name that you sort of get the sense, there was a lot going on with him, but we don't know too much about him. Verse 20, I left Trophimus, who was ill at Miletus. Now Trophimus was one of those who accompanied Paul on his third missionary journey. Read about that in Acts 20. 21. I do want to just point out, it's interesting to note that Trophimus was ill. And so Paul left him behind. I left Trophimus who was ill at Miletus. Question might arise why Paul didn't or couldn't heal him of this illness, but he didn't. Um, which is to sort of give, uh, give lie to the idea that every sickness ought to be healed and go away. Paul left a man behind because he was sick. He just needed to be sick and recover. Uh, why he didn't or couldn't heal him, we don't know. But we do know that he was a, a companion of Paul in his ministry. And then 21, you, we just have some names. We don't know who they are. Eubulus, Pudens, Linus, for whom the character in Peanuts is named. Uh, there was one where uh, uh, Lucy asks Linus if he knows his name is in the Bible, and Linus actually quotes this verse. And Lucy just scowls at him. But his name is there, Linus and Claudia, feminine name, and all the brothers. Now, what's the point of all this? Well, the point is this, that many of these were an encouragement to Paul, uh, although they were far away from him, and he, he felt lonely not having them present, but they were out serving the Lord. They were out doing what Christ had called them to do, or what Paul had requested them to do, uh, getting things done. Others like Luke were there with Paul, although apparently there were others there in Rome who would visit Paul or travel to Rome to visit Paul. Uh, he wanted Timothy and with Mark also to come to him. The whole point is Paul's connectedness, that there were people who were an encouragement to him, out serving the Lord or present with him personally. And these people buoyed his spirits. He may have been lonely for their presence, but they were serving the Lord. They were out there Getting it done. And the point is that we don't live the Christian life alone. You can't study Paul's life without seeing the interconnectedness of his life with other people. Uh, so much so that when they weren't around, he felt their absence and did suffer from loneliness, especially when you happen to be in a Roman prison awaiting execution. Now, people will encourage, and that's the good news, and that's the majority. Most of the time, that's true. But to go to the other extreme, there are times when people will oppose when people will be opponents, they may be opponents to you. It's hard to go through life without having people or encountering people who uh, just seem to have it in for you, who just seem to be your opponent. And certainly we see that with uh, with Paul. Notice what he says in verse 14. 
Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. What did he do? We don't know. The language may suggest that he was something of an informer. Uh, perhaps the one who uh, set into motion events that led to Paul's imprisonment, to this very imprisonment he is suffering now. We don't know for sure, uh, but we do know that he did Paul great harm. But notice also Paul says the Lord will repay him. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Fits very well with what Paul says in Romans 12, where he says, do not take vengeance, leave room for the Lord's vengeance. The Lord says, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. I don't think Paul has a personal vindictive spirit toward Alexander, but simply recognizing that he's accountable to the Lord for what he did. And the Lord will deal with him justly according to his deeds. But notice also a warning for Timothy, verse 15, beware of him yourself. This guy's an informer. Uh, if he's if he's going to turn people in, Paul says, Timothy, look out for him. This guy's dangerous. And maybe more than informing, look, he, he strongly opposed our message. He was not only an opponent to Paul or to Timothy, but an opponent to the gospel. And so we need to recognize, uh, certainly because of us personally, or perhaps because of who we are as Christians, there will be people who oppose us, who may betray us, people who may do great harm to us. But again, we need to recognize, they answer to the Lord for that. Our position is to do our best, if we can, to avoid them, not suffer from them, uh, but also to recognize that they answer ultimately to the Lord, not to us. So the good news is most of the time people will encourage, whether they're with you or whether they're out there getting it done for the Lord or whatever. But there will be times when people uh, just seem to be an enemy and they seem to have it in for you uh, personally or because of who you are as a Christian. But more often than that, also in something of a downcast uh, light, uh, people may disappoint you. They may not be opponents. They may not have it out for you. But they may just let you down. And we certainly see this here in a couple of ways in these words that Paul writes. Uh, first of all, and perhaps most obviously, is Demas. Look at verse 10. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Now, Demas occurs in a couple of other places. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 24, we read earlier, he's one of those who's included where Paul says he sends greetings. In Philippian, or sorry, Philemon, verse 24, he is described as a fellow worker of Paul's, part of Paul's team, part of his companions who labor with him in the Lord. And so you sense that there is great disappointment here. Demas has deserted me. He has abandoned me. He has turned from me. Uh, whether that is, 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 a, is a, an act that is personal or simply he's just gone away. Uh, Paul says, he's deserted me. Why? As the ESV says, he is in love with this present world, having loved this present world. By the way, the, the verb is agape. Someone says, well, agape always refers to God's love. Well, no, it refers to Demas's love for this world. Just worth noting. Uh, but he, the important point is not the verb. The important point is that he loved this world. What does that mean? Well, maybe just the, 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 the deprivations of being with Paul and living the Christian life the way Paul lived it were too much. He wanted comfort. He wanted stability. He wanted safety. Uh, or maybe even just the, the prospect of death with Paul was too much. He just wanted life in this world. 
Remember, Jesus said, whoever loves his life and saves it for this world loses his soul. What will man trade for his soul? Well, Demas made the trade. He loved this world. He chose this world above the next. Paul was willing to die for Christ. Paul was living for that world to come even above this one. But you get the sense here, just reading between the lines, that this this hurt. And it always does when someone betrays us, when someone uh, turns away from us. there's pain there. Someone we knew well, someone we worked with, uh, labored together, uh, and they desert you, they abandon you. That is that is painful. And Paul feels that here, and you get a sense of that. But there's also another source of disappointment here, and we pick that up in verse 16. Paul says, At my first defense, no one came to stand by me. Whether that meant someone who would be his advocate, his defense attorney, uh, in this initial hearing, perhaps just to hear the charges against him, uh, there wasn't anyone to stand with Paul, if not to be his attorney, at least to be present with him and support him. No one. They're in Rome. Were the Christians afraid to be seen with him? Were they afraid to identify themselves with him? Were they afraid they might suffer the same thing Paul would suffer? We don't know, but at any rate, Paul said, I was absolutely alone. There was no one there with me. And you get a sense that that was a disappointment to him. The charges against him, we don't know. They're not said, but we do know what early Christians under Rome were charged with, such things as atheism, because they didn't believe in all the Roman gods, uh, cannibalism, which was a misunderstanding of the Lord's Supper, uh, or just hatred for the human race, because they tended not to engage in the revelry uh, of, of Roman life. Maybe it was some of those things, or disturbing the peace, or whatever. We don't know. But what exactly the charges were that this hearing was for. But we do know that Paul was alone, but he also seems to be very understanding. May it not be charged against them. Basically prays for the forgiveness. Some have, have ventured that cautiously this may be Paul's Gethsemane, this hearing, where like Jesus in the garden, everybody took off and fled. Uh, and as with those who were crucifying, Jesus didn't hold it against them. In fact, prayed for their forgiveness. But he wasn't entirely alone, was he? Look at verse 17. But the Lord stood by me. There may be another, no other human being with you, but the Lord stands with you. The Lord is with you. Notice what he says. The Lord stood by me and strengthened me. The presence of the Lord and the power of the Lord were there in Paul with a couple of results. One, in verse 17, the gospel was proclaimed. I said before, for Paul, it didn't matter if he was in the road, in the marketplace, in the synagogue, or in prison, he preached the gospel. That's where God wanted him. That was the new mission station. That was where he preached. If he's going to be on a hearing before Roman authorities, it's a pulpit from which to preach the gospel, and that's exactly what he does. So that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. The Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that the gospel would be proclaimed. I love the way one writer puts it. Listen, this is great. He says it's quite possible that this event, which the apostle to the Gentiles regards as the completing act of his own mission and ministry, took place in the forum itself. But at any rate, it would be held in a court to which the public had access, and the Roman public at this time was the most representative in the world. And in that representative city, and before that representative audience, he preached Christ. And through those who were present and heard him, the fact would be made known throughout the civilized world 
that in the imperial city and before the imperial bench, the apostle of Christ had proclaimed the coming of his kingdom. So that's one outcome. The gospel was preached there in Rome. But also Paul was delivered. Notice what he says in verse 17. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Now, remember, Peter said Satan's like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Who is the lion? Who is the lion that Paul refers to here? Maybe it was Satan. Maybe it was Nero. Maybe it was his accuser uh, or just the situation. Uh, we see sort of a comparison here here of, of, of Paul with Daniel. And Paul perhaps sees himself as having been metaphorically thrown in the lion's den. And the Lord spared him from the lion's mouth. But what is the lion's mouth? Death? Cowardice? He doesn't say. But we do know that the Lord protected him. And he says in verse 18, will rescue him from every evil deed, every act of betrayal, whatever, and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Dear friends, get this. For Paul, rescue did not mean his life was spared. Rescue meant he went to heaven and not hell. Paul saw himself as delivered, even though he was soon to feel the steel of the executioner's sword. Because he did not fall into perdition, but went into paradise. Because the Lord kept him, not from physical death, but from being lost forever under the judgment of God in hell. Some, very few, I hope, will oppose you, will be your enemy. We'll have it out for, we'll have it in for you. Watch out for them. And remember, vengeance is the Lord's, not yours. There will be others, inevitably, who will disappoint you. Some, perhaps, greatly. They may bring, bring great pain to you through that. Well, tremble for them as you see the power of sin in their lives. Remember, the Lord is always with you. And certainly many will encourage you. They may be nearby. They may be somebody you see frequently, see often. Their presence is a great encouragement. But others will encourage you just because you know they're faithful. They're out there serving the Lord. And these days, of course, even when they're far away, they're closer than ever through uh, the Internet and so forth. Many will encourage you. So be grateful for them. Give thanks to the Lord for them. Pray for them as they pray for you. Well, we reached the end of 2 Timothy, and so we reached the end of our study in it. Paul's simple benediction to Timothy is found in verse 22. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. He desires just two things for Timothy, the presence of the Lord and the grace of the Lord. That same presence that strengthened and protected Paul, he desires that for Timothy. But not just for Timothy, as you see, grace be with you, not just for Timothy there, but for all of us, because the you there is plural. So he's writing to Timothy, but he also writes with the view that this letter would be read and received by many, many others. Grace be with you all. And that word, more than any other, sums up Paul's life and ministry, even to the end. Grace. Because you see, that's what we need from the Lord. And that's what we need in our relationships with one another. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for Paul and uh, the various relationships we read about here, or the ones that were encouraging and certainly painful ones as well. Father, we know something of that. We thank you, Father, for the people you've put in our lives, especially brothers and sisters in Christ who encourage us, who support us, who uh, keep us going. Father, we pray uh, as believers that we would know their presence and know their support and their fellowship and their love. But above all, Lord, that you would stand with us, that we would know your strength and your presence, that we would know your grace and that you would keep us safe to the end. And through the end, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.